Hello, and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 105. It is July. Still, for a little while longer, it is still July. Uh, at, at, le- at least it's July while I'm recording this. You could be listening to it at, at any other time. That is the curious thing about uh, something like a podcast or uh, a book or music or recorded music, that is. I, I, it, it's just a, it's a new... Th- I have, there will be a blog coming about this because I am really thinking a lot about um, just like mm, art that is not time-based. <laughs> that is, uh, I'm used to um, theater, which is a live medium. And I'm used to live performance and music performed, you know, in real time. And uh, I'm ju- I've, ju- I've just been having some thoughts about the differences between making something that you then um, cast, o- cast out that doesn't that doesn't seem right that you that you cast off no that also isn't right that you send out into the world like little you know messages in a bottle um versus work that you know you know what's happening while it's happening anyway i'm interested and i'm going to i'm, I'm going to write something about it eventually but i'm still uh, mulling it over anyway so i'm recording this in in late july and um what I have for you today is a blog that was inspired um, by an article that I read in The Hollywood Reporter, which I subscribe to, believe it or not, and hardly anyone can believe it, but they send it to me for free, so I read it. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't read every word. I do tend to uh, skip things, but often what will happen is I'll like get halfway through an article and go like, why am I reading this? <laughs> And then I'll move on. Um, anyway, so the, the, this was inspired by um, an article that I read there a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. I don't know when it was. But um, anyway, here it is. Um, it is titled, TV Folks Feeling Uncomfortable. Reading excerpts of a roundtable of TV showrunners made me unexpectedly angry. I found myself throwing down the magazine. There seemed to be a general consensus that the Me Too climate was inhibiting their work as comedy writers. Showrunners, male and female, bemoaned the PC atmosphere. And it made me mad. Not because I don't understand. I I understand that a certain amount of freedom and safety definitely helps the creative process. I understand that continually censoring oneself can put a big obstacle in front of creation. But a lot of us have been dealing with that our entire creative lives. I don't really feel bad for people who suddenly have to hold back from saying their misogynist joke or their racist joke or whatever ugliness they feel they should be able to just let loose with. I don't feel bad about these folks who suddenly have to be a little more self-conscious for fear of saying something inappropriate. Some of us have had to be self-conscious this whole time. Some of us know how to make jokes in an inclusive way. 
If you don't think it's possible to be funny and also kind, listen to the comics on the Guilty Feminist podcast. It is entirely possible to be funny and sensitive to power dynamics, race, gender, and ability. Or listen to Cameron Esposito do crowd work. She brings everyone in with inspiring warmth and hilarity. And of course, if you haven't seen the Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, get on that. But the folks running TV shows have generally been in the business for a while. They came through the ranks when the ranks required a comfort and ability with working with the status quo. They are the establishment. In order to become a part of the establishment, you have to have had a certain level of comfort, ease, and understanding of the status quo. You have to have been okay with the bizarre power dynamics and the bananas world of mostly wealthy white men making the majority of the decisions. Most folks who made their way to the top of a media chain did not get there on the back of nuanced feminist or racial sensitivity. That's not how you get to the top in TV. I'm not saying everyone who works in high power positions in TV are complicit in mounting sexist, racist, and ableist structures, but a lot of them are. And now, as the big players in their industry begin to tumble down, people are looking to them to say something to address things that they are frankly ill-equipped to address. There is a shifting of the balance of power happening, for sure. But it's a looking-glass world. I saw, in this same magazine that I threw down in fury, an advertisement for a conference on change. It was clearly an attempt to help guide people through the shifting sands of power to address sexual politics and new norms. But of the maybe 12 speakers, there was only one person of color. And one of the lead presenters was a white-haired man who appeared to be about 75 and is the creative ambassador at Barney's. These are the people folks are looking to to help them through a changing landscape? I mean... It just suddenly struck me that rather than reach out to the people who have been historically shut out of those worlds, they're just asking the people inside the gates to do things a little differently. Instead of hiring people who have been working for racial equality and gender equality and disability rights and so on, they're turning to the people who never cared about those things and asking them to figure out how to address them. And you know, I don't object to all those folks getting more woke, as it were. That's great. Let's wake everyone up. But I don't really have the patience or the goodwill to watch celebrities and TV execs learn about feminism from each other. It's just not that interesting watching them make mistakes we all made back in college. I'd rather watch W. Kamau Bell get given four shows to develop and Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher's shows get picked up by a major network and then get three more. I went to see Hurry Kondabolu and Nagin Farsad on TV all the time. I want Zach Anner to have a show. I mean, I just don't feel bad for those still holding on to their comfortable jobs and finding it a little less comfortable. It should be a little less comfortable. It's your comfort with how things were that contributed to the ickiness of the media culture. Stay uncomfortable, stay present and invite some other people in. And listen, I don't really have a dog in this race. I have no ambitions to work in TV. 
but I do suspect the same mechanism is already at work in theater where I do have ambitions. I'm sure that as the big companies are making their reckonings, they are not saying to themselves, hey, I wonder if we could bring in some people who have been working in feminism or racial justice or disability rights and produce their plays for a change. Nope. I'm pretty sure the first order of business will be to turn to the people already inside and ask them to write or direct or create something on the topic they're hoping to improve their image on. Mark my words, we're going to see Neil LeBute's Me Too play before too terribly long. Or David Mamet's. And I'm sure it will sell a lot of tickets, Lord help us. But I'd rather see a big theater stage all the feminist writers who have been writing without reward in the trenches for years. Or hire any number of feminist directors who have not gotten the work offers they should. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this time theater won't follow TV the way a little sister follows the older one. Maybe this time theater can lead the way and invite in all the folks who have been working tirelessly on the fringes. Maybe. So there you have it. TV folks feeling uncomfortable, I think is the title I came up with. I feel like there's a, there's a title that I would love so much more than that one, but I don't know what it is. So I just went with it because it was time to get the thing posted. <laughs> Sometimes it works like that. Sometimes like I'm like, oh, I have a title, but I, I don't have any actual uh, post. I got no essay. I got no, I got no meat. And then sometimes I have like a whole thing and I, and the titles are just like, mm. anyway, I know like on some papers and stuff, they, they have different people who do those jobs. Like people will write titles for stuff. Like that's just like, they're just title writers. Is that a thing? Anyway. Uh, yeah. So, um, a few people like this one, which is nice. I was kind of, I wasn't thinking it was going to be a hit, but um, there, were, there were quite a few people who were fond of it, so that's awesome. Um, podcast recommendations for you. Uh, how about I just plug my own podcast besides this one, this one, which, of course, thank you for listening to it. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, on Anchor, they, I think they've been tracking how many, how many listens I've had since I joined Anchor. And it's almost 500 at this point. So that's exciting. So thank you for listening. The numbers are going up on the podcast over there. Um, so that's very cool. Um, and my new podcast, which I've already mentioned to you, and if you want to listen to the trailer for it, it should be in your feed, um, is Reading the Library Book. And speaking of titles, I'm, I'm exploring trying to find a, a new title for the book that that um, podcast is reading. It's currently called a library book, but it needs another title. Uh, anyway, that one um, is less listened to than this one, um, and it's for young people, but of course people of any age can listen to it. And um, yeah, I would love to, to get some more uh, input from young people especially. So if you know someone, um, you know, it's the sort of young reader age, which I'm realizing I've discovered is like a whole category businesses are weird. Um, but anyway, it's like seven to 11 is, is called young readers. So there you go. If you know anyone who fits into that pet category, pass it along. 
Um, and if you also have ideas about how to share it more effectively with young people, like young people aren't listening to podcasts. And podcasts are, I mean, I love a podcast, obviously. Um, but I can tell that it's a technology that is not intuitive for everybody. Um, and there are probably other entryways. Um, and you, as listeners of podcasts, also f don't see those barriers probably or aren't, aren't as... Um, you're certainly not uh, blocked by those barriers, but I, I have worked out that for, for, for kids especially, they, they don't like have access to phones. They don't have access to computers. They have to like get a parent to do a thing for them. Um, anyway, so I'm trying to explore other ways of, of getting it in the hands of young people. So if you have ideas, please, please send them along. Um, yes. So that would be great. And that, oh, did I tell you the name of the podcast? I think so. It's called Reading the Library Book. Um, it's on iTunes, but it's in this weird, I don't know what, it, it, I, I've written to them about it and they can't figure it out. And some, it's something weird that's going on at Apple. Um, but it's there, it's on iTunes, and it will tell you that it's not available in this country. At least that's what it does in this country of the United States. Um, but it's not true. Um, if you download one of the episodes that you, you'll find if you search for an episode, um, you can subscribe to it. So it's absolutely, it's absolutely there, and you can get at it, but you'll, you'll be convinced that you can't by the way that they put it there. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, anyway. It, it is on iTunes and other podcast apps as well. That's a lot of plugging. Sorry about that. But I don't have advertising, so that's, I got to advertise myself. <laughs> that's me doing my f delightful, fun um, self-promotion, which I love to do so much. As longtime listeners of this podcast will know how much I love self-promotion. It is my favorite thing. Absolutely. Okay, so your song today, everybody. Um, I, 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 I recorded these podcasts out of order in terms of how they came up on the blog uh, because I couldn't figure out what to song, what, what to song, what song to put here. Um, I've reached kind of the end of my lullaby recording um, phenomenon. Um, so I was like, oh, I need a song here, and I, I couldn't figure it out. And... Uh, and then I realized that I've never recorded um, this song called Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground, a song I've been, you know, playing around with for years and, and I, I just enjoy very much. Um, and I thought, oh, that will actually go quite well here um, because certainly I wouldn't ask Marcy Playground to write a, a feminist anthem. But if I sing it, maybe maybe... It allows an exploration of female desire or um, a turning of such ideas. Anyway, maybe I'm stretching it a little far to sort of try and fit it to this theme. Um, but it was about time that you guys got to hear uh, Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. Here it is. <laughs> Town by myself, and I had so much 
much time to sit and think about myself and then there he was in platform double suede and there he was like disco lemonade I smell sex and candy Must be my dream. 